0: Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, it's great to have you guys with us today. Um, really quickly, if you're new with us, Connect Gathering is today after this worship experience. And so be in our cafe over there. Um, we have free food for you today. So if you just want lunch and you can pretend that you're new, you can come and put on a little fake mustache and, you know, sit with us and get a free lunch. That's going to be today. And we have Child Watch available so you can figure out how to get plugged in beyond just the Sunday experience. Well, if you join us today, we're in a series called The Dark Side. Um, and as you saw earlier, it's been an amazing— Series to see what God has done and having, you know, Darth Vader and stormtroopers around. But I want you to understand the heart behind this series. Um, I read a book several years ago called Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership. And that book impacted my life greatly because what it, show, what, what, what it showed was pastors. Is leaders who failed in ministry, who had moral failures, who uh, stole money or had an affair and why they did that and kind of did a deep dive. But not only that, they went into the psychology of different leaders in the Bible and what they struggled with. Like we looked last week at control. This week we'll look at narcissism. We'll do it passive aggressiveness. We're going to look at codependency. Um, we're going to look at paranoia um, and how all those things sabotage us. But why would we do a series like that? Number one, I give this book to every pastor that I know because it will impact their life. But number two, some of our staff have read this, and it's greatly helped them in their own life. And so I wanted to pass this on to you guys, and here's why it matters in discipleship and following Jesus. You know, the greatest call is to love God and love your neighbor with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's number one. And then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you can't, you know, live out, the love and kindness of Jesus and the grace and patience and peace of Jesus to other people, then you will never be able to share the gospel with them. People don't listen to your words, they hear your life. And so, so many times we have to grow beyond these these issues in our life. And this is a disciple-making type of series to help you understand the inner workings of your soul. Now, what I love about this series is it deals with everything. Every one of these, if you think, man, I struggle with this, don't worry. The reason I'm preaching to you, I struggle with all of this too as well. And if you will, turn your copy of God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. Many of you know the Greek uh, you know, mythology of Narcissus. He was a guy who was a male model. He looked like Fabio, right? Just a male bottle, six-pack abs, had it all going on and he rejected every romantic advance there was. And then one day he sat down beside a mirror and he just looked at himself and looked at himself, and finally he died. And as we know, we have a flower called Narcissus, and, you know, the, the myth is, is that the flower bloomed there where Narcissus died at. Well, I want to talk to you about narcissism today. And, and the working definition for narcissism is this. It's defined as those who are self-consumed to the point that they disregard the feelings of others, and they can never see how their actions hurt other people. It's defined as excessive self-interest. And it's actually a personality disorder when you look at it in the psychological realm. And I want you to realize this today. Everything I deal with you each week is not whether or not you have a control issue. It's not whether or not you're a narcissist. Here's what you're going to deal with. Where am I at on the spectrum? And what do I need to work on to live out the message of Jesus in my life? Now, as we're looking at biblical leaders, if you feel a little discouraged, maybe you're at a place, you're like, man, I struggle with this too. Don't worry. What I love about the Bible is this. In the Bible, it's not a book or religious text written with all perfect people. Read other religious texts. Like, they want to, like, polish it to make sure their guy looks, looks, you know, beyond reproach. In the Bible, you find human people dealing with human issues that God chooses to use. And who we're going to look at today was a very narcissistic person who was just consumed with self-interest and, excuse me, self-importance. His name was Solomon. King Solomon was a narcissist, and he was high on the spectrum. And I want you to realize before we jump into Ecclesiastes, kind of what— built Solomon's life. A lot of times we don't think of these people as human beings and going through things. But Solomon was David's son, as you know. He was also considered the wisest man ever, uh, which we know that. But what you may not know about Solomon is, is that even from his birth, there was controversy. David's wife Bathsheba was someone that he went and slept with while he was married, was not married to her, got her pregnant, killed her husband to try to cover it up, the baby died, and then the next child they had was named Solomon. You may not also realize this that David was a very successful man. Like when you look at, at Jewish literature and Jewish texts, it, it's always this um, the dynasty will continue as the king of David, like his dynasty. That kingdom, the kingdom of David, will always continue. David was a center point to the Jews, and he was very revered. Think about this he wrote the Psalms, he was a, like, like a poet. He heard from God. He had great military conquest. And he was someone who everybody looked at as the man. And Solomon, as a young man, lost his dad when he was probably around 14 or 15 years old. And he was given this task of completing the Jewish temple. They had been in a mobile temple for many years, mobile church, right? And now Solomon, at 15 years old, is saying, hey, look, be like your dad be like david a matter of fact you got to finish his work and solomon did not only finish the work y'all solomon built such a kingdom that people from all over would come to look at what he was doing solomon went above and beyond what was expected of him in building the temple solomon was always living in his daddy's shadow and as you look at that, as we look at Ecclesiastes, you're going to see Solomon at the end of his life. The beginning of his life, he wrote a book called Song of Solomon. Man, it was, it was, it's, r- it's racy. Like, you know, really like, the, it's really about Christ and, and, and the bride. That's fine. You, you can draw some, uh, you know, analogies there. It's about making sure that you protect intimacy in your marriage, right? It's, 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 God wants you to be intimate in marriage, to just be real with you. So Solomon was a lover, not a fighter. The second book he wrote was Proverbs. Middle-aged man wrote all about wisdom. Um, I tell you all the time, a proverb a day will keep ignorance away. Make sure you read this. 31 Proverbs, 31 days in the the month. Read that. He wrote this book on wisdom, and it was phenomenal. He builds this amazing kingdom. outdoes everything they thought he would do because he was being compared to David. And then he writes this book at the end of his life called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes— it's one of the most depressing books you will ever read in the Bible. Why they put it in there, I'm not sure. But it's in there. And what I love about it is, as David was just as raw about his thoughts about life and God and everything in Psalms, and he's so raw with it. Solomon is incredibly raw about how he feels at the end of his life. And don't you look at what happened here in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4. He says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. Just a, a caveat, a side note here, you don't find meaning in what you do. If you try to find meaning in what you do, you will always come up empty. That's what Solomon, I tried to find purpose in my job. As followers of Jesus, you won't find your ultimate purpose in that or meaning. He tried to. And then he like just expounds, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. He was an engineer too, He's brilliant. He, he created all this stuff, he did that. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born in my household, also owned large herds and flocks, and more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I want you just to pause and think about that. I'm going to say it one more time. This is probably the most important part of this passage for you right here. I'm going to say that one more time. He said this, more than any of the kings who have lived in Jerusalem before me. Boys and girls, Vacation Bible School question here. And I'm going to give you the answer later, but— How many kings had lived before Solomon? We're going to get to that because this is important. Like, he's saying this for a reason, y'all. And then it comes back to this. He goes, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. That's military conquest. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I don't know why he put that in there. (laughs) That's not the best thing to put on your resume. If you don't know what a concubine is, you can Google that after church today. I'm not going to have that conversation. You can talk with your kids about that. One of the things you got to realize about Solomon, though, is this. He, yeah, he, he had all the wisdom in the world, and you'll look at that, but he had nobody speaking to his life prophetically. He had no one keeping him accountable. David had Samuel, and David had Nathan. Solomon had no one, and that's why he, he did things like that with concubines. He says, I had everything a man could desire. So, watch this. I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never filled me. All who lived in Jerusalem before him. He, he, he references that again. He's, he's getting to something here. He says, anything I wanted, I would take it. I did my, denied myself no pleasure. Wouldn't that be the life, y'all? Because that's, that's what you think success is. Get me on a beach somewhere and let me just live the life and have anything I want to have. And we've been fooled into thinking that's going to fill your life. And then look what Solomon says here. He says, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But pause right here and really look at this. But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Friends, I want you to realize what he did. He completed building the temple that God told David to, that God initially gave the blueprint to Moses. Like the greatest thing anybody in Israel could do, he did it. Not only that, but then he became uberly successful in life, driven, driven to do all of this. And he comes up at the end of life and says it was just meaningless. Meaningless. I mean, why? And my fear for us is I don't want you and I to end up one day at the end of our life saying, man, what was was the point of life and what was the point of my life? Because that's where Solomon got to. Because he was driven his whole life, driven his whole life to do all these things. And he thought it would fulfill him as he opened up with, but it didn't. And what narcissists do, and that's you and I, we're on that spectrum, is that we often have a desire to achieve and succeed. I want you to write this down. This is important. Because an unhealthy desire to succeed is fueled by unmet needs. That's what happened to Solomon. An unhealthy desire to succeed. His unmet needs was, he was a love child. I'm pretty sure that he, you know, he wasn't... Favored, I'm pretty sure the other wives were a little upset with Bathsheba. Controversy surrounding his birth. He's always compared to David, King David, the greatest ever. And his desire to achieve was not birth out of, I will serve God, it's going to be great. It was birthed out of something deep inside of him that was unhealthy. And then when it gets to the end, you see that it was all meaningless. And I don't want you guys to go through that. And I want us to look at that today because all of us have unmet needs in our life. We have parents that were absent. We had people in our life who told us we would never make it. We had people who told us we were never good enough. We had people who reinforced all of these things in us. And somewhere along the line, we decided that we were going to prove the world wrong. And we were going to make it in spite of everybody else. And can I tell you, that may get you to a certain point of success, but it without Jesus healing the wounds of your heart and those unmet needs, you will end up just like Solomon one day and say, what was the point? Yeah, I proved them all wrong, but I'm empty. And that's what narcissists deal with. They're fueled by those things. Think about Tom Brady, guys. It's great he's winning championships, but he says he has no joy in the previous championships. He's always asked, what was your favorite? You know what his favorite is? The one I haven't won yet. Because he was always overlooked. Michigan had him as a second and third-string quarterback. He would come in and get to win some games and come in the last—executed perfectly, and they got him drafted fifth-round, third-string quarterback again. You look at anybody in sports who does that, they were always fueled by it. The problem is when a lot of these guys get the end of their life, they're not saying, man, that was just awesome they're still bitter and upset about so many things. If you watch the last dance with the bulls, you saw that in Michael Jordan. He wasn't exactly the happiest guy. He wasn't Magic Johnson, right? Magic smiles and he's he's just beautiful. That's not just, you you're, uh, you're fueled by unmet needs, but can I tell you something about narcissists? And, and all of us in us uh, in here today deal with this. You've got to know how they feel and why they do what they do deep down inside. You can write this down. Narcissists feel very inferior and very inadequate. That's unmet needs. Deep down inside, Solomon felt that way. Don't you tell me by looking at Ecclesiastes 2, he didn't purposely write all the kings in Jerusalem before me. Y'all, there was two kings. There was Saul, who was a terrible king, and there was David. Solomon wanted to make a point, and I don't know where the rub at was with, was, with his dad. I don't know that relationship, but he wanted to make a point to you and I and everybody he was writing, I outdid Daddy. I did more than what he ever did. I had more wisdom than anybody. It never—I I did this and I did that. When you listen to people who always have to over-talk their accomplishments, they're very inferior and they're very inadequate. But here's the problem about narcissists. They're very charming. They come off as visionaries. They come off as having it all together. But deep down inside, their push to be the best, their push for all these things, it comes from unmet needs inside. And somehow, they're still trying to make up for something from childhood. Now, here's some symptoms you'll see and things that narcissists are obsessed with. And maybe you see yourself in this. I know I see myself in all of this, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But but some of the symptoms you're going to see is this, is that narcissists are obsessed with, number one, their own image. Like Andre Agassi said in that Sprite commercial back in the 90s, image is everything, that is the motto of a narcissist image is everything, that I want to make sure I look the part, that everything is just perfect on the outside, because I want people to be impressed by me. Solomon was that type of guy. Look at my image. Look at all that I've done. He wanted to build that image. And maybe that's you. We live in a world of social media, and can I tell you, we are just consumed by it. People are filtering, airbrushing, coloring up stuff. I mean, remember the whole avatar thing? (laughs) People making these avatars look nothing like them? Oh, you laugh. You know it's the truth, right? (laughs) And we live in a world like that, and so we're consumed with that. The second thing that narcissists are, are really obsessed with is this. It's attention from others, They want attention from other people. Listen, when it comes to the social media world, likes and the little guy holding the heart, is that like, I really care or something? What does that mean? Like, I care a whole lot? What's the guy with the heart holding the heart? I don't know what that means, but I I, I think he cares. I I really care. Narcissists are like, get that out of here. Give me the loves, baby. Likes don't count. I want all the loves. And they're going to count the loves there to see who loved it who just liked it, who cared for it, and you better not show anger toward it. I will go after you. I'll find out who you are. As they said and taken, I will track you down. I have a special set of skills. <laughs> and they're obsessed with attention. See, the, the book that I referenced, I want you to realize something. Don't you to realize something. That book that I referenced was all about pastors. The reason many guys get in ministry is they have unmet needs, They were very unpopular in school. They're depressed. They feel like they have no purpose. They get on stage, and they preach a terrible sermon. Horrible. My first sermon was terrible. I preached the whole book of Ephesians in one sermon. Go go sit and read the whole thing right now. Listen, it was horrible. But I was a young man, radically saved, and watch this. These older gray-haired men come up to me and said, I'm so proud of you, son. I love, you have what it takes. I love what God's doing in your life. I just pat me on the back. And I never got that approval from my father. And I thought, hey, you mean I can do this as a job every week? I get this type of attention every week and approval? Where do I sign up? Not knowing they were being, they were being really kind to me, right? Because once I got in ministry, those same type of people cussed me out and wanted to fire me and all this stuff and tell me, like, you're terrible. But it was the attention side. And so we had to work with pastors to say, look, man, you don't preach to impress. You preach to impact. I'm not here to impress you and make you feel good. I'm here to shape your life. I hope you like it enough that you you can receive the message, but I'm not here to make you like me. I mean, if I wanted to be liked, I'd go sell ice cream because everybody loves ice cream, Right? But attention from others, and so narcissists struggle with that they need attention from other people in life. And, and the final thing they're obsessed with is being the best. When you listen to someone wanting to be the best in the world, there is narcissism somewhere driving that. There's some unmet needs driving that. You know, a narcissist saying is this: "It's from you know, it's from Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. If you're not first, you're." You're last. And that's the saying of a narcissist. There is, no, there is no second place. We don't give trophies for second place. Only first place in life. And they want to be the best. They, everything's a competition to get someone else. And all these things, I'm telling you, drive us deeper into Ecclesiastes 2, where we get to the point we say it's all meaningless. Why have I done it? And it leaves a deeper hole in our soul. Where the more we go and the more we strive and the more we try, and the more we want to succeed at our jobs and make more money and climb and grow and brand and image and all this stuff, the more we go with it, the worse we feel inside. And here's why this is important today. I want you guys to write this down because this is what many of us, many of us in, the, in this culture don't, don't live with contentment and peace and joy and all the things Jesus promises. And here's the deal. If you don't deal with this disease you will never live with a spiritual ease. Say it one more time. if, If you don't deal with this disease that we all have of narcissism, then you'll never have a spiritual ease. And what do you mean by that? The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, there remains a rest. Say rest. A rest for the people of God. Do you just feel like sometimes you're striving and you're working? And do you feel restless in your soul? Can we just be honest? The culture we're in is taught more, more, grow, do, go, go, bigger, better, go bigger, go home. And that's narcissism. That's the spirit of narcissism just grabbing us and is causing us to lose our joy, our contentment, our peace, all the things that God promised us. And if you don't deal with that disease, you'll never have an ease in your life. Where, man, you're just enjoying the promise of God. You're living in God's faithfulness. You're resting from your works and striving. And that can happen to any of us, especially spiritually. Galatians chapter 3, Paul is speaking to a church in Galatia who they had like these guys come in their church and tell them, you're not fully saved. This is the first century. You're not fully saved unless you go to synagogue and do everything that the Jews do. I'm glad you believed in Jesus, but you got to go get circumcised. Go go see the doctor. Get circumcised, guys. And you've got to obey all 613 laws, come to all the—and then you're fully saved. Like, you're almost saved with just Jesus and faith in Jesus. And they came in that church preaching that, and people were believing it. Jesus plus works. And then look what he says to them. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. But let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. It goes on to say you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Then it goes on to say this. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives by the Spirit, in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? They're striving. There's no ease. They're pursuing. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? And they had lost their spiritual ease because in Christ, there should be an ease to our life. It's okay to be successful. It's okay to achieve. Remember, I tell you all the time, it's okay to own possessions, just don't let possessions own you. I mean, it's okay for those things, but they got to a point that they had begun by believing in Jesus, and it was good, but now they wanted to achieve by works, works of the law. And can I tell you that in our lives, it's so easy. I don't care if you're even doing ministry, you can lose that, and you can do it for all the wrong reasons. You know, for me, I played in a Christian band, you guys know that, and I toured for several years, and you know all the highlights and the good stuff, but there was something that happened early on in that band that shaped my life forever. A lot of times I tell people, um, I heard a lot of people in that band practicing. I was practicing ministry then, right? I was actually in church, and I learned a lot. I remember one time uh, that as we started our band— there was pure motives. I wanted to share the gospel. Like, we were punk rock. I didn't know Christian music. I didn't grow up in church. Like, I, I didn't know Hosanna and Integrity. I didn't know any of that stuff. I, I just knew that I was going to write songs about Jesus and go to the worst places where I used to be and just sing really loud, fast punk rock music about Jesus to people who hated Jesus, hated Him, a bored religion. And that's what we did, man. And God blessed it. It was beautiful. Just pure, pure motives, pure heart. But as we kept going, we got some success. We tasted success. So guess what? We got to the Christian Music Awards. Now, we didn't get any awards, of course. But we're sitting next to all these big-name bands. We're playing, you know, with, with bands, the Cutlasses, the Building 429s, the, you know, all the guys you, you get on the radio. We get to meet those guys and hang out with them. We're sitting at tables next to newsboys. And we're like, man. And then we were then at these venues where we were out selling build, Building 429. And I wanted to make sure we kept that up. I wanted to make sure we just kept getting better and bigger and the brand got better. And friends, can I tell you that the, the taste of success was like wolf to a—blood uh, to a wolf. I wanted it more and more. And here's what happened to me. There was a guy in our band who wasn't very good at guitar. He didn't really look the part. He didn't look cool enough for where I wanted to go because these bands on stage look really cool. And you you got to make sure you look really, really cool, Right? Like, like, you know, there's churches in America that if you weigh a certain amount, they won't let you on stage. It's the ones you all, we all listen to. If you, if you wear certain clothes, you can't, if you're a certain nationality, or if you're certain to height, you can't get on their stage. And that's the stuff that was sucking me in. This, this, this whole worldly idea of success. And so what did I do? I kicked the guy out of the band and got somebody in that was cooler. And here's what happened Back before cell phones and texting and social media, this is way back in the prehistoric days, he wrote me a letter. And he was absolutely heartbroken. This was his dream. This boy loved doing it. He was the nicest guy in the world, y'all. And because of my narcissistic personality to look the part and be the best and get the attention, time I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself here, all this. I kicked him out. He was so hurt and so angry and so dejected. Not only did he leave his local church, not only did he he just leave playing in Christian bands, he left Christianity. He stopped following Jesus, and I was a big part of that. And to this day, he will not speak to me or acknowledge that I exist. I've tried to reconcile with him. What I'm telling you today, guys, is this. If you don't deal with those things in your heart, there will be a paper trail of broken relationships and hurt people. People will be expendable to you. That's what narcissists do. They're just transactional. We'll just fire someone and get somebody else in. We'll just get rid of that and we'll just get this. And that's what I did. And that was 20 years ago. And I read that letter, the way that I felt, I still can tell you today how I felt. And and can I tell you, I decided in my life I would never do that again again. I didn't know what narcissism was back then. I just knew I did not ever want to be that again. And what did I do? I, at our height of our band, I crashed the band intentionally, intentionally shut it down and started a new name with a new type of music that wouldn't be as popular and that people wouldn't like. Because so I said, I'm sick, I'm tired of being entertainment for people and being in this type of industry. And that has bled over to our church in a good way. That's why at this church, I don't have yet. Yeah, listen— I got some buddies' churches I can send you to. They got way cooler lights. They got way cooler facilities. They got millions invested in their sound system. I I can send you there if you want to. That's just not me, y'all. I'm not trying to keep up with Elevation Church or Hillsong and all that. I don't care. What you just saw with Tim, Sean, is I want to take people who nobody else believes in and nobody else cares about. I want to find regions in the U.S. and Richmond where we can plant churches and give money away and give people away and see the gospel permeated. Amen? But listen, that wasn't me when I first started into it because of narcissism. And I don't know what that is for you, but I want you to write this down today because here's what I had to do, and here's what you're going to have to do, and it's this. Leave the dark desire to achieve. Leave that dark desire to achieve. That's what happened to me. I had a dark desire to achieve and to succeed and be the best, and I had to leave that. Do you know that even achievement itself and works itself, it does not mesh with Christianity. You don't get to heaven by being a good person, right? You, you understand that. We all just coexist. All religions are the same. Religions are not the same. That's a spit in the face of other religions. And they'll tell you to your face, we're not the same as Christianity. There's two types of religions in the world. Don't, you, don't ever forget this. I had a world religions professor who was a Christian would teach that at a secular university. And he taught, at the end of his class, he said, there's only two types of religions. There's the, there's the, the, the religion of human achievement that I will be a great person so God will accept me. And if I pray at 9, 6, and 12 and do my my fast at this time, then I'm going to one day weigh out the balance and hopefully get into heaven because I've done enough good works. That's one religion. That's that's what all other religions are. If you're good enough, you'll be reincarnated. Christianity is not reincarnation. Christianity is this. You cannot give any works to God that are acceptable to Him to get saved. Nothing. Nothing. No, matter of fact, he says, Your, I, 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 I really can't be as raw as the Bible is. It's called filthy rags. Your works are as filthy rags. I wish I could tell you what that translation really is, but I won't do it in church. And friends, you've got to realize even the gospel, the heart of it, rejects achievement. It's Jesus, faith in Christ, grace through faith alone, not of works so that no man can boast. Ephesians 2.8. And we have to leave achievement to the side when it comes to every aspect of life, especially spiritually, because either you're going to try to work to get to heaven or just rest in the fact that Jesus did the work to get you into heaven. And then from that, you know what happens? You have good works because you realize about the finished work. And that's what we have to do to leave the dark desire to achieve spiritually, leave it emotionally, and leave it physically. And here Two thoughts here, guys, that I want to help you with. These have saved me, and these are are from older, more seasoned ministers who spoke in my life with Scripture. The first one is this. Realize you have nothing to to prove and no one to impress. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress at all. Stop trying to prove it everybody. And you have no one to impress. Here's what I teach our communicators that Thrive. And as I told you, you preach to, impre- uh, to impact, not to impress. And you got to realize, man, you got nothing to prove to anybody, and you have no one to impress. Why? Because Jesus has made you acceptable to the Father. And that acceptance from God should be everything that you need in your life. Because if you—I'm going to tell you this, and, and this leads to our last point— if, if you let people be the source of your joy— they'll be the source of your depression. And you have to realize that the source, the greatest source of validation must come from Christ. If pats on the back are what make you happy, kicks in the rear will make you sad. If the success of your business is what makes you happy, the crash of it is what makes you See, that's not the way Christ followers operate. Life can be doing this right here. And man, when you're in Jesus, you're just this right here. Because that's your greatest source of validation. comes from Christ. Do you realize that we all love John 3.16? That's such a beautiful verse. But do you know Matthew 3.16? Matthew 3.16 is a picture of the gospel. Jesus goes down to get water baptized from John the Baptist. And he goes down and it says, as he comes up, John said, Behold, I saw a dove, like the Spirit, like a dove descending upon him. He said, this is my beloved son in who I'm well pleased. What was God pleased about with Jesus? He had not preached one sermon. He had not done one miracle. He was pleased because he was his son, not because of what he could do. And friends, can I tell you that? That has got to come. To because if you want achievement and success and promotions and money and stuff to fill that void, you'll never get it. It's only realizing that Jesus has made you completely right with your Creator, that you can now call Him Abba, Father, and you can have a rich relationship with Him. I want you to think about this this week. Let let the Lord speak to your soul, because some of you are restless. You have no ease. You have no peace. You have no contentment. And maybe this is the first time you've ever come to, to realization that you're depressed, discouraged. Let Christ be your greatest source. Validation in your life, let's pray. Father, I ask right now that you would just speak to the heart and the soul of every person in here, all of those watching online today, Lord. That we're, Father, we're surrounded by a narcissistic world, it's all about themselves, it's all about number one, it's all about brand promotion, growing. God, may we find rest in you through Christ. Rest from striving, rest from works, rest from trying to prove to the world something. May we just relish in the fact that you fully accepted us, you fully approve of us, God, because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I pray this week, Lord, you would help people in here begin to experience that spiritual ease of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, Lord. I pray for that. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe it's time for you to come back to faith in Christ. Maybe you walked away because you were hurt by a bad version of Christianity or hurt by church. Maybe you gave up on God because of something you went through in life. Or you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to fully surrender to Him, I don't know which which camp you're in, but today is your day to come to faith in Jesus, whether you're in here physically or online. Right where you're at today, I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, I need the Savior. I need Jesus. Today, I make Jesus my Lord. I believe that He died on the cross. I believe that He rose again on the third day. I repent. I turn from my old life. I turn from my old ways. I receive full forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you for saving me today. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.